in, from Matthew chapter 25. So Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels, one of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And this is a parable that's it's not as well known. I mean, some of you may have heard it. Some of you, maybe the very first time you've heard it. But I feel like where I need to start with you tonight is my own becoming a Christian. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I grew up in the church and uh, was, was very well taught. And I was taught the Bible and I was taught the gospel. And, you know, if I say the gospel, that's just the, the biblical word for the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's called the gospel. So I was taught that. Didn't have a teaching problem. Um, but the lights did not come on for me till about 10th grade. And I was a pretty moral kid. Uh, most of my teachers, most of my Sunday school teachers, my pastors would have thought I was a Christian. Uh, probably not by the time I was in ninth grade because of some behavior. But in 10th grade, like Jesus sometimes when he's teaching, he'll say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the thing is, like, every, everybody has physical ears, and they can hear the sound waves when Jesus is teaching. But he's saying that God has to open your ears to, like, hear, hear in your insides, like the real you, hear what I'm saying. And God has to give that to you. You can't manufacture it. So I, God gave me those ears in 10th grade. And I, now I'm going to read this parable in just a second. But I want to read you a verse that, like, you know, it just popped in the Bible when God opened my eyes and God opened my ears. Again, like I've been around the Bible, but it's earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, and, it, and it's, in, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, if you've heard that. That's chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, now get this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Right, let me say that again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, man, the, I remember when I read that for the first time, when God was working in my life, it just jumped off the page because I realized that's what I had been doing. Like I've churched, I've been moral, a lot of bad things I'm not doing or mostly haven't done. And uh, I can answer Bible questions, and I would call Jesus Lord, and I thought I was a Christian. And it's Jesus saying to people like that, just because you call me Lord, that, that, that doesn't mean you have eternal life. It's the one who does the will of my Father. And that should raise a question, like, okay, well, then what's the will of the Father? The reason I'm telling you that is that this parable is like an extended reflection on that verse. So it's in the same gospel, it even uses some of the same language, but it's like an extended reflection on not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at this. This is uh, Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. And sometimes when Jesus says, here's what the kingdom is like, he's talking about the kingdom of God now, the way it's working its way out. Sometimes he's talking about the kingdom to come, like when the Son of God comes back. This is about the second, okay? Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. 
For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is God's word. Let's pray together before we look at it. Father, this is a special time, and thank you so much that in your plan and in your power, we're all in this room together. And thank you for every single person that's sitting in a chair in this room tonight. And we pray that this would not just be filler, that it won't just be just kind of a Bible talk study thing, but would you really open up your word and do something special in our hearts? Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work in our midst and really open our eyes. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um. I'm kind of still going down memory lane, so I told you about 10th grade. I remember when I graduated from high school, which was not that long ago for some of you. And um, I remember, you know, somewhere at some point, I think in every high school graduation, somebody will say some version of, okay, look around at the people around you. Some of these people you may never see again. You'll think like, we'll see each other. It's, it's us. We'll see each other. And then what happens? Some of them you may never see again. And it's weird. It's weird, like, after all these years of being in the same classrooms and the same hallways and the same teams and the same events, that just you hit this moment, and then they're not around you anymore. Um, I've seen this version. I've seen where uh, you get a job and you work with somebody. You work with somebody on a you know, daily basis, or at least all work days. And you just feel like they're built into your life. And we, like, you're part of my life, I'm part of your life. And then they have a job change, or you have a job change, and then maybe you never see them again. And you don't text, you don't keep up. Different, different directions. All right, what, what's the thread there? The, the thread is that proximity does not equal connection. Proximity does not equal connection. Like, there were people that you sat close to in high school that you could not wait to disconnect from. Just because I'm around you all the time doesn't mean I want to stay connected to you. But that's the thing. You can be, like, right next to a person and feel like you're connected and then go your separate ways. Did you know, and this, this is important, did you know that you can do that with Jesus Christ? 
And what I mean by that is you can do what I did really until God changed my heart and burst in. You can be around the Bible like you're around it right now. You can be around a local church. You can be around a campus ministry. You can do RUF. You can do FCA or whatever. You can be around Christians. And you can feel like, hey, it's good, it's good with me and God. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, like, I'm pro-Bible. I'm pro-church. I'm around it all the time. I like singing the songs. Proximity does not equal connection. Proximity does not equal relationship. And man, that verse I quoted to you, Matthew 7, 21, like runs that through an amplifier. And this parable sort of runs it through an amplifier. So I want to slow down a little bit. Look at this parable. We won't take a long time. But I, I want to think about two things tonight. I want to think about the wedding party and the warnings. Okay? The wedding party and the warnings. Now, first thing, don't miss the forest for the trees. This parable takes place in the context of a wedding day, which is supposed to be an incredibly happy day. All right, so you've got a groom. You've got people who attend the groom. You have these ten virgins. And it's funny, one Bible scholar I looked at said, picture probably 12 to 18-year-old girls. So you would be older than them. You've got essentially like bridesmaid, wedding attendants, and, and this is important, you've got a wedding, we, what we would say is a reception, but what's a wedding feast where everybody's going. The story is going toward a wedding feast. Uh, now, th th this is very important. When I say wedding feast, I don't know what you, you picture. Um, like Dana, my wife and I, we had a dry wedding in a dry county in Mississippi. That, that is not what Jesus is talking about. So don't think like really proper, you know, buttoned up, churchy, you know, iced tea kind of wedding reception. This is a Mediterranean feast. This is like a culture that knows how to take a big bite out of life. So the food, the wine, sometimes the events went for seven days. Blow it out. Joy, connection, okay? So there are these warnings in the parable that you heard, but don't miss the forest for the trees. It's a day of joy, and where the story's headed is being in a wedding feast where you feast and have joy, okay? Um, and I, re I, I really want you to see that because sometimes pastors will do this thing. I hope I haven't done this. I don't think I have, but maybe I have. Or maybe, maybe you've heard a preacher say this, or maybe you heard a youth director say this, something like this. Hey, if you don't like worship, you won't like heaven, because heaven is an eternal worship service. And I have wondered if, like, you know, vaping is a big problem right now. I've wondered if we are actually helping churched people not vape when they hear that, because they think whatever it takes not to die so that I don't have to go to an eternal church service. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll give up vaping. I'll, give up, I'll, I'll exercise more. I'll hydrate. I'll do whatever it takes not to go to an eternal church service. An image that Scripture loves about eternity for God's people is feast. 
like real feast, the food you love, the drink you love, the people you love, the dancing, the joy, that's the image. In the book of Revelation, almost at the very, I mean, literally almost the end of the Bible where human history is headed is what? Revelation chapter 19, the marriage feast of the Lamb. And the Lamb is Jesus, where he marries his bride, the church, okay? Um, Jesus' first miracle was what? He was invited to a wedding feast. They probably into several days of festivities. They ran out of wine. Jesus doesn't just turn water into some wine. He turns water into a ton of awesome wine. And it's in another gospel, but the gospel writer says when he did that, this, is when, this was his first sign to show his glory. The first miracle that Jesus does to say, here's what I'm like, and here's what knowing me is like. And here's what my kingdom is like, is an amazing supply of the best wine you ever tasted. So when you think eternal life, I want you to think the feast. And that's built into this parable. Okay? A uh, couple other things. There's 10 of those young attendants. It feels weird to keep saying the word virgins. I'm just kind of going to have to do that. I'm sorry. It's built, into the, it's built into the parable. Virgin, 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 virgin. Um, there's 10 of them, and Jesus says five of them are wise and five are foolish. Now, that's a very Jewish Hebrew Bible way of talking. It doesn't mean there's five goody-two-shoes and there's five hellions. It means that the language of the wise and the foolish means there are those that know God and follow him in his ways, and there are those who do not. But there's the five wise virgins, five foolish virgins. Now, here's what I want you to think about. All 10 of them are honored. Like, of all the 12 to 18-year-old girls that could have played this official role in this bridegroom's wedding, these 10 got invited. So all 10 are honored and on the guest list and play a role. All 10 of them have lamps. They all brought lamps like they're supposed to. The lamps are probably more like torches. I don't think, you know, there's no electricity. And there's no ambient lighting. There's no street lights. There's nothing like that. So dark is dark. Like when you camp, it gets that dark in the town. Think like torches, oil-soaked rags. When your torch goes out, you've got a kit. You pour more oil on rags, and you relight it, and more light. All 10 have lamps. Uh, all 10 fell asleep. It wasn't like the goody-two-shoes stayed up and the bad girls fell asleep. All ten of them fell asleep. They're out in the dark. You know that thing that happens like if you go camping and you feel like, you know, unless you're with really, really, really fun people, you kind of feel like going to bed at 8.15 because it gets dark at like 5.15 and it's like, what, what do we do now? Okay, they're out there. It's dark. They're waiting. Now, we don't know when this is in the festivities of the wedding party. It may be they're waiting for when the bridegroom leaves his home, goes to the home of his bride-to-be's parents, gets her, and then brings her to the feast. Or it could be he's already picked her up and he's going to make his way to the feast. But part of the wedding event is once they're married and once they're on the way to the feast, whether it's there or back, there's a procession of these attendants, these virgins, and they light the way 
in this dark town. So they go to the feast. This says, like, here comes the party. <clears throat> so here's the warnings. There's two big ones. Um, let me ask you this. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I bet for some of you, you've never heard this parable before. And so I wish I could talk to you one-on-one -on -one because once we read it, I'd love to ask, what bothered you in this parable? And it's probably two things. The bother, <laughs> bother number one is, well, why did the five virgins not share? Did that kind of bother you? Like we're supposed to share? And then the second one is, why does the bridegroom close the door and not open it to them? It's like, just on principle, no, you're too late. You may not come in. In fact, I don't know you. Now, that's weird, because he must have a very deep knowledge of them to invite them to play a role in the wedding. I don't know you. Let's look at those two real quick. Um, look in verse 8 again. The foolish said to the wise, now this is, you know, the bridegroom's coming, he's on the way, get your torches ready, you're about to lead the procession. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now this is really important. This is not a parable about sharing. If it was a parable about sharing, it would not be a good parable. It's not a parable about sharing. It's a parable about readiness. <clears throat> Here's the point that Jesus is making. He doesn't tell this parable and say, now, the oil stands for such and such. He doesn't say, the oil stands for faith. Or, the oil stands for the Holy Spirit. He basically just says, whatever it means, to be ready when the bridegroom comes. Now, Jesus has built himself into the story. He's the bridegroom. And if you went back a chapter, you'd realize he's still answering a question the disciples asked about, when are you going to come back? When will you establish your kingdom on earth? That's when he tells this parable. When Jesus comes back, whatever it means to be ready for him... That's what it is to have oil. Um, if the five virgins who had oil had lent theirs to the ones who didn't, it may have been that all ten would go out and the whole thing would be a failure. So better to have five than zero. But historians said that like in this setting, people that sold that kind of oil, they would stay up almost all night when they knew there was a wedding because there was this kind of thing happening. Let's keep our five. We want to have at least five good lamps. You may have time. Go to the store, get some oil, and come back. That's when they come to the party and the door is closed and they weren't ready. All right. Here's the warning. When the Son of Man, when Jesus Christ returns, and, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you don't have a lot of Bible background, the New Testament is just, that's a slam dunk that Jesus says, I am physically actually, really, bodily coming back. And a new era of history will begin. He says, when I come back, you have to have your own readiness. 
You can't borrow somebody else's readiness. Now, y'all are smart people, and so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but let, let me, can I just slow down for a second? Your friends cannot give you their readiness. If your friend is ready for Christ to return, if your friend has eternal life and knows him, doesn't just have proximity to Jesus, but has connection with Jesus. If you know your friend has that and it feels good to be around that friend because it kind of lets me feel like I'm hooked up with God, that friend cannot give you her readiness, his readiness. Your family cannot give you their readiness and it be your readiness. Jesus says, you must have your own when the bridegroom arrives. And one of the points he makes in this text and it's in the passages around this in Matthew, is he will come at a time when you do not expect. It's not going to be like, well, there was nuclear war, and then there was a total eclipse, and then the birds stopped flying, and we knew something was up. It's not going to be like that. He says, it's in an hour you don't expect. Like, no one expects Christ to return when they're in class. No one expects Christ to return when you're driving home uh, for Thanksgiving. And Jesus says, that is precisely when it will be. At an hour you don't expect, when you're doing chores, when you're on your way to the holidays, when somebody's about to get married, that's when he'll come. When he comes, no one can give you your readiness. Now that's warning number one. Are you ready? Second warning, um, now, this is about that door closing. Look in verse 10. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. The bridegroom saying to those five foolish virgins, the ones that aren't ready, I don't know you, is like Jesus Christ saying to people, not overt pagans, not unchurched people that have no proximity to Jesus at all. It's not people that have never been around the Bible or been to church. It's to people who've been around him and been around his word. And they know they're invited to the wedding feast. It's to those people that he says, if you are not ready, if you aren't really connected to me, then I don't know you, and you don't know me. It's an amazing thing for Scripture to say, guys, because like God knows everything. Jesus could read people's minds. How could he not know me? He says, if you are not connected to me in real relationship, I don't know you, and you don't know me. As a pastor, if someone wants to join our church, they sit down with one of our leaders, with one of our elders, and they, and they talk about, like, well, how'd you come to this church, and why do you want to join this church? But one of the main things we want to talk about is, do you believe the gospel? Like I said, do you believe in the good news about Jesus? And do you understand the gospel? And here's the tricky part in those conversations, guys. Sometimes somebody that's really, like, smart, and they've been in church, and they've had good teaching... They can say the right thing and they're not connected to Christ. 
They don't really have what the New Testament calls saving faith. They can answer the Sunday school answers correctly. This was me up till 10th grade. But they don't really possess uh, what the New Testament calls saving faith. And again, I'm just going to belabor this. Proximity does not equal connection. RUF does not equal eternal life. FCA does not equal saving faith. Local church does not equal conversion. So what are we supposed to do with this? Let me, let, let me ask you this first since we're thinking about warnings. Um, verse 13. Here's Jesus' big like end of the parable takeaway. All right, Verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I would just ask you this question. Has whatever there is between you and Jesus Christ, Jesus as he's revealed in the Bible, Jesus as he reveals himself in the New Testament, has what you and he have together, has it ever risen to the level of urgency? Are you still kicking the can down the road thinking, you know what, um, I think... I think before I graduate, I really want to get that straight. This parable is Jesus saying, do not do that. You are not promised an October. You are not promised a 2024. Watch, therefore, and remember that I will come when you do not expect. Now, of course, if you've got your, you know, what my teacher used to call your thinking cap on. If you got your thinking cap on, you might be thinking, well, yeah, but like all these Christians heard the same thing and they died and he hadn't come. You're right. It's right till you're wrong. That works till it doesn't. Do I think Jesus is coming back tonight? To a fault, I probably don't. But he says you just won't know. So you must be ready now. Well, what do I do if I don't know I'm ready? And I think this is the part I'm the most happy to tell you. Have you ever heard of a Christian from a long time ago named um, St. Augustine or Augustine? You ever heard that name? There's a, a St. Augustine, Florida. St. Augustine was very smart, <laughs> and he knew his Bible, and here's what he used to say. The Lord gives what he requires and th this is why the gospel really is good news. Jesus says the only way you can know that you have eternal life is if you believe. It's not if you read the Bible enough. It's not if you obey enough. It's not if you're good enough. It's not if you get sexuality figured out and my vocabulary figured out and alcohol figured out. And when all that's squared, then you can know you have eternal life. He says, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. And here's the weird thing. You and I hear that and we think, okay, I've got to believe, which means I've got to manufacture faith. You can't. I can't. You cannot produce it like an enzyme. God has to give the faith that he requires. But here's the loving heart of God. He loves to give that. Like, are you... Are, are you here tonight and you're thinking like, okay, I'm glad I'm in a Bible study. I'm kind of like shocked that I'm in a Bible study. But like, 
I feel like I'm trying to become a Christian and I can't. Or I feel like I'm trying to know God and I can't. It could be because you keep trying to do it in your own strength and you've never really come to God with empty hands and said, I can't do it. I can't manufacture belief. I can't manufacture goodness. I can't do it well enough. Would you fill my hands? Because I'm helpless. God loves when we talk like that. God gives what he requires. And, and if I, I don't want you to leave here thinking, gosh, well, I've got to be good enough for when Jesus comes back. No one's good enough. But Jesus came for sinners. Take him at his word that he came to make people like us clean, to give us a relationship with him so that when he comes, we know him and we're ready. And here's the note I want to end on and I'm done. Um, Everybody should have a relative that adores them. Do any of you have a relative that thinks you can do no wrong? It's not your parent. <laughs> but does anybody have like a grandparent or aunt or uncle that just thinks you can do no wrong? Okay, that was my Aunt Frances. Aunt Frances adored me. Every time I see her children, my cousins, they said, oh, she liked you best. And I, I love it. I just accept that. And she's gone now, and I miss how she adored me. Long story short, there was a period of time where I had not seen her for a long time, and I was concerned that I had hurt her feelings about something. And because I hadn't seen her in a long time, you know, like those gremlins get in your mind, and you wonder, will she still like me? And so with kind of fear and trepidation, I was on a trip, and her and her, my uncle... Their home was on the way, and I stopped off. I called and said, I'd love to come see you. She said, come on. But I was nervous going up to her door. I hadn't seen her in years. And I knocked on her door, and the door opened, screen door still closed, and I saw her figure, and she said, she stared at me for a second, and she went, you better come in this house. <laughs> Hugged me. She smelled like Aunt Frances always smelled. Whatever that old lady sweet old, that rose water, I don't know what it is. Glycerin is something in drugstores, but like she smelled like that. And um, ugh, it felt so good to be welcomed in, that that face was not a face of anger, that face was a face of welcome. Do you know what we just sang? Did you catch the part about he brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine? Like when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that's the plan. To bring an undeserving person like you and me into the feast forever. And the shoe never drops and the joy never ends. That's the plan. When you believe the gospel. Amen. Go ahead and pray for us.